social security numbers, credit cards, driver's license, passport. We have an obligation to protect that data. And I'll tell you, those are our crown jewels. Those are the things that if we lose those, if they're stolen, if they're breached, that's what's ruining people's lives. Automation is everywhere today. You know, you can't deposit a check into the bank account without taking a picture of it. You can't grab your favorite hamburger at a fast food place in the airport without bumping up against some form of kiosk to get my food. This automated technology is so prevalent that even IT leaders are starting to worry whether algorithms may soon put them out of a job. But there's one group within IT that's actually embracing this new trend. And if you're not, yeah, you probably should. Hi, I'm Doug Thompson. And today on Let's Converge, we're talking automation and cybersecurity. If anyone can benefit from automation, it's the security teams, which have been understaffed and overburdened for the past decade. The cybersecurity ranks have grown a bit in recent years, but still nearly 3 million cybersecurity jobs remained unfilled. Last year's workforce report from ISC Squared revealed that the number of cybersecurity workers needs to grow by 65% to adequately defend enterprises. Meanwhile, cybersecurity tracks are through the roof. Finally, relief is in sight. A growing number of security automation tools are taking some pressure off these security pros by handling the repetitive and tedious and low-level task. But a surprising number of organizations have yet to use them. What gives? I have my theory. I think it's just human nature not wanting to change. But joining us today is Stephen Blankenship, IT Director of Salisbury University in Maryland, who's here to share a case study in tools and digital transformation. Stephen worked his way up at Salisbury, starting off as an undergrad, earning his bachelor's degree in computer science, then a master's degree, and then moving up the ranks through desktop support, networking, and system administration. Stephen, how are you doing? Good, good. Glad to be here. It seems you arrived at Salisbury as a freshman and <laughs> just enjoyed college life so much, you just couldn't tear yourself away. I've been here for about 23 years. We're a regional, uh, traditional liberal arts college in the eastern shore of uh, Maryland, you know, a few hours east of D.C. Been in higher ed my whole career. Love uh, supporting educational learning environments and, and setup opportunities where students can succeed. So you, you went out of high ed into high ed, basically. So you got your degree and went right into that. Yeah, they, they, they trapped me, you know, right, right from internships, worked my way all the way up through the department from, uh, you know, late 90s up to, up to today. Yeah. Until they ran out of places to put me. We were talking before we started recording. Uh, you know, I had been at Microsoft before this, and you were, we were talking about sort of the history of, of what's been used. You were at the very early days of being able to manage PCs, because before there wasn't a whole lot. I mean, it was a... It was a nightmare before the, probably while you were an intern or something, it was just sort of a nightmare managing your environment at that time. Oh yeah. You know, all the way back to Novell days and, and network application launcher. Ah, yes. Novell. For those who don't geek out on the history or didn't live through it like we did, Novell was a pioneer in corporate networking back in the nineties. Their core product, Netware, was a leader in networking software. Then Microsoft, my former employer, swooped in, realizing they could build networking into their operating system, and there went Novell. SMS 2003 must have been a real game changer for you, too. The SMS, or System Management Server, had traditionally been a go-to desktop management tool, but this version focused on cybersecurity in a whole new way, spotting security vulnerabilities and delivering critical updates. You know, initially with SMS 2003, it was, you know, our first real deep dive into trying to, to wrangle our desktop environment. 
we've used many tools, many point solutions over the years here to try to solve problems on our desktop environment. And that's what you sort of had to do is you had, okay, here's the problem du jour, I'll call it. And they didn't really have a nice platform, which gave you this sort of end-to-end way of, of being able to do things in a holistic manner. Yeah, it's, it's, it's solutions, it's not platforms. And that, that's, that's our whole experience uh, my entire career here. And, and, and it can be incredibly frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know I've talked to people that said, you know, this solved this one problem, but it bought up four other problems that I've got. You know, so it's, it's a whack-a-mole <laughs> is probably the best description for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you recently became a, one of our customers here. So tell us sort of how that uh, evolved. I, I talk about it from the story perspective of you have to get people which are thinking outside of silos. Or it's a broader picture of what's what needs to happen and sort of this holistic view of, of what life could be. And again, it's more like you've been there long enough. No, life's got to be better, right? <laughs> you've been, you've been having this groundhog day reliving it for too long. Yep. And, and I'll tell you that operational needs like, like administering desktops and solving some of these challenges, it's not a sexy thing. And it's not something that administration wants to invest in. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a very tough thing to budget. And what we found at, at Salisbury, the way that we were able to get Tanium in here is we had a very specific security need that we, we had to address to meet our legislative audit requirements. So a little bit about how that came around. We were told by our legislative auditors that we had to identify all the sources of PII on all of our servers, endpoints, you know, file shares, cloud storage, you name it. And why I say PII is personally identifiable information, such as social security numbers, credit cards, driver's license, passport. We have an obligation to protect that data. And I'll tell you, those are our crown jewels. Those are the things that if we lose those, if they're stolen, they're breached, that's what's ruining people's lives. And, you know, even outside of our legislative uh, requirements, we, we care the most. That's what we want to protect the most. So we have to remove PII from anything that's not an approved encrypted repository. We had tried several point solutions over the years, really unmanageable for the amount of man hours and effectiveness of those tools. Yeah, this is a serious problem and a common one and one that most enterprise leaders don't even realize exists. It's it's more than we ever imagined. (laughs) Everybody and their brother wants to keep all the contracts all the way back to the 80s. (laughs) Uh, on on their their computers. So we actually bought the security tool, which is capable of looking inside all of the files, inside of archives, and doing pattern matching within them for us to identify and confirm legitimate PII hits. And then it'll automatically pull that PII off the endpoints, leave a little stub there that says, hey, we took your file, call the help desk if you need it, and then move it to an encrypted central NAS repository that then we have entirely separate ACLs and separate permissions and processes in order for people to gain access back to it. And that met our audit uh, requirements and really cleaned up millions and millions of records off of people's inputs, far more than we ever would have imagined, Doug. Yeah, higher education I've, I've found is a place for data hoarders that, like you said, they, 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 I, we had a researcher back at a previous role that had kept every submission for a grant that he'd had and his, his mailbox size was like in the terabytes of which nobody, I mean, just, I, I discovered that nobody ever throws anything away in education. No, no, no one wants to throw anything away. And it's, it's not always the people that we, we suspected. It's not always the HR people or the registrars or the, 
you know, the people that, that you have a legitimate reason to work with PII, every mm-hmm. one of them has downloaded a report and left it on their desktop. Yeah. Then they've copied it over the last four desktops as they've mm-hmm. copied their documents folder over from last, you know, four or five machines. We, we have PII going back to the 80s that we were finding, but it's also everybody in the departments that ran their TurboTax and saved their, their tax file on their, on their desktop. It's, it's the contracts, it's the procurement orders, it's the credit cards on, on scanned PDFs that, that we're finding. It is far more than we ever imagined and more than any of the previous tools that we'd attempted to, to utilize here was able to find. No one from the C-suite on down recognizes the magnitude of this problem. Heck, this shops even those of us in security, as you say. Until you go searching for it, you have no idea how much vulnerable personal data is sitting on your endpoints and servers. And even if you think you have a sense of how much original data your outfit collects, you really have no idea how often it's been duplicated and where those copies live and within your system and who has access to them. And the key to it for us was we don't have the manpower to review these. We don't have the manpower to go and manually take the the PII away. A day doesn't go by that I'm not talking to an enterprise about how they solve this problem or that problem and say, hey, I've got a tool for that. It sort of reminds me back when I was going through college. I was a nighttime mechanic and I talked to these master mechanics. I saw one that had a stethoscope in his toolbox. And I was like, you're not a doctor. What are you doing with that? He says, I use it to determine if there's a tick or something's out of timing on the car. He would actually put it up to the engine. You know, today they have these ports on the car that you actually plug into a computer into, and it gives you all the diagnostics about everything that's happening in that engine. And, and what you're describing is much the same process. We need a single tool that will give us complete visibility into the, all the endpoints on a regular basis. One of our main requirements was it needed to be able to be self-sustaining. So it's not enough for us to find PII. We needed to take it away. Once we confirm the situation or scenario, so we're able to go in and look at those, those hits and say, yes, this pattern is legitimately PII. Everything else that looks like it, go ahead and take it. So we just have some care and feeding we have in training it to say at SU, because our requisition forms all look the same. Our contracts all look the same. It's actually pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, Once you know the types of PII that live in your environment, yeah. uh, for you to, to care and feed and train that, to, to automatically take it. And we, we've got our, our users, our, politically, we were able to get it through, and our users have, have come to understand how all that works. So, How did you manage that? What's the story to get the buy-in from the users? So at the point at which your state funding is going to be pulled, if you do not meet legal requirements, the last bits of, of hesitation, our, our president doesn't want to be in the newspaper. Fortunately, enough other people around us have had bad experiences to the point that we're now believed. I don't think that some of the political and cultural explanations are even needed anymore nowadays. Yeah. That the fight that we, it's not that we haven't known that we needed to do this for the last decade, but we finally have both the tools, the ability to do it and the willpower and and the acknowledgement in in today's cybersecurity environment that we have to do it. So that's how it came together. That's sort of a delicate balance too, because you know, in the past you could have done it, but it wouldn't have been a great customer experience. Technology done well fades into the background. You don't even know it's there. It just works. It's like the power switch when you turn on the light. And it sounds like you were able to come up with that solution to make it seamless to the user. And then that makes it, you know, because if you remove that friction, then they're a lot more likely to buy in. Right. And, and, the, and the big thing is anything we, we could have done in the past would have had such a manual 
overhead uh, on IT and on the users that it would have been untenable for us to support and maintain it. So, so that was really how we got it in here. Once we get, got it in the door and we have this powerful tool on all of our endpoints and all of our servers, you know, then it's kid in the candy store time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, being able to automate that stuff is very powerful in that it, then it helps, again, you scale. I've run into these people on occasion, which they think you're trying to do away with their job. And, and in reality, you're trying to free them up to do something of higher value that in essence makes their job more important. And, and more reliable. I go back to, you know, nobody's making ice boxes anymore when the refrigerator came out, you know, no, nobody, you know, VCR tapes. So you don't have a lot of those anymore. You know, everything's digital. It goes on. So. I, I used to have those conversations with people all the time. Any aspect of your job that I can automate with PowerShell or with a script or with a tool, you ought to be happy because that's gotta be miserable doing that repetitively. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's get you on something way more interesting. Well, it's way more valuable, way more marketable. You know, it's not like I'm trying to automate you out of a job and fire you, right. um, especially in the state. We, we're very stable. We, we actually are blessed to have a very, um, the average tenure of the people in my department, you know, spans between 10 to 10 to 30 years. We don't have a lot of job hopping. We're pretty isolated out here on the Eastern shore of Maryland. We've got beaches though. So, you know, that's the main selling point. <laughs> so, but it is the people that, that, that are the true value in our department. And the more that I can direct them at way more valuable projects than, than menial repetitive tasks, let's get all that automated, all that out of, out of the way. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can do it and reduce, it reduces errors and stuff too, because sometimes you do this over and over and over again, it's ripe for overlooking something or you've, you know, that you have an outlier that comes out that, well, this always worked before. There was one thing that's different by automating all that stuff. You can put checks in place to make it more reliable. Again, then free up the human to do the more white glove and the higher value things. Automation also has a natural tendency to uh, self-document processes. Mm -hmm. So if you can automate a process, you have thoroughly documented that business process. It's easy for anybody else to come along afterwards and maintain it, update it, um, understand what's occurring. Whereas when things are manual processes, that's in one person's head that just retired. Yeah, that that's a big factor that I talk to a lot of people. They have the one person that the world doesn't end, but it gets a lot more difficult when they leave or God forbid something tragic happened that, that you couldn't plan for it at all. Cause it is, I know I'm horrible at documenting things. Cause I just, I go through it, go on my, much, much to my wife's chagrin. She yells at me on occasion, but why didn't you write that down? I, I just, it is, <laughs> but, but that only impacts me and my family. It doesn't impact, you know, an entire organization. So, so the big thing is, you know, once we got the visibility and seeing the power of the tool when we got it in here, people started realizing that we could ask real-time questions and get answers about our situation. So take an example of we, we, we were asked about a piece of software that, well, should we continue? Because should we continue, you know, paying for this piece of software? We're paying $60,000 for a site license. Mm -hmm. what, why, are we, why are we doing this? And I'm able to just with a, with a sentence ask a question about our environment, say, where is, where, how many, what computers even have mm -hmm. And then I can know where those computers are and, and who's using them. I can know the versions. I get those responses back and it's, it's so much faster yeah. in a single pane of glass that I can then take that same answer that I got and feed it straight to a deployment. Yeah. So turn it into a security example where we've got, you know, a, a, a vulnerability that, that's been released for Adobe product or you name it. 
I don't even know how many computers have that version before. To get that answer would be incredibly painful before. Now it's a sentence that it helps me autofill in the rest of the sentence to tell me exactly how many are in that situation. And then take that exact list of computers, feed it straight into a deployment to go ahead and update them. So that clearly saves you just a ton of time. Absolutely. And one of the big things that we also get pushed on is patching and patch compliance. So we have a lot of compliance metrics that were made to meet basically uh, baseline configurations that have to be held to, as well as patch uh, mean time of mitigation for vulnerabilities, as well as patch from within a certain uh, period of release time from the manufacturer, we have to have them apply. And I'll tell you that that, that is an infuriating thing to piece together. <laughs> to do all that manually, patch by patch, man, I imagine that would drive anybody bonkers. So having the right automated tool not only saves you time, but sanity too. It's like having your own special agent riding on each endpoint, giving you real data about the endpoint in real time. There's no more having to rely on third-party tools or remote scans or a ratchet for this and a socket for that. And I know that that agent on there, when I tell it to update, is going to get those updates right. and provide feedback to me about how that went. Right. And it's got to make you be able to sleep better knowing that you can answer those questions. There's nothing worse than having your boss coming in and know he's going to ask you one of those questions. I can get you that answer, but it may be a week. Right. And you're only as secure as, as your weakest links in this. And yes, we have a lot of other layers in security. Yeah. And we've got firewalls and we've got other pieces to this puzzle. But for the longest time, our endpoints have been our greatest concern and point of compromise. Because our servers are locked down, they're highly, highly tuned, our network, you know, we've got a lot of constraints and controls within it, but those endpoints and those pesky users are the main problem in an environment. Yeah. So by, by assuring that that can do as little damage as possible, reputational damage, data loss, having, having those endpoints, no PII on them, right there, I've already won half the yeah. game. So even if that, that endpoint is stolen, that endpoint is compromised, you're not getting something locally from us. Right. Then I have those other layers in place to prevent between that endpoint and the additional spots where, where you're going to do more damage to me. But yes, yeah, sleeping better at night, knowing that I've got AV running properly, knowing that I've got the firewall enabled locally, knowing that you don't have admin rights locally on that machine, knowing that all of our little settings and group policies and and all the tweaks and, and, and layers that we put on those endpoints are still enabled, are still working, yeah. and you're patched. In, in that scenario, the other thing is operationally, if your environment looks like what I just mm -hmm. said, you get way less calls. You have way less issues. Right. Your users are actually happier in that environment because their, their desktop works. Yeah. You know? It's back to that point where technology is fading into the background and you just you're right. going to be able to do what you need to do. So it sounds like it, it all just works. So it sounds like you've got some improvements. You're sleeping better at night. You got some happy customers and stuff, your own customers and all on that one. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us and telling your story about how it sort of transformed the way that you do business. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate you having me. I've been talking with Stephen Blankenship, IT director at Salisbury University. If you'd like to read more about security and automation, check out Tanium's new online cyber news magazine at Tanium.com. To hear more conversations with today's top business leaders and security experts, 
Make sure to subscribe to Let's Converge on your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like this episode, which I know you did, please give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing more cyber insights on the next episode of Let's Converge.